there's the account of the birth of Christ after his uh, long investigation into these things. And this is what he writes in chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, have, have any of you ever been broke? <laughs> uh, Kathy and I, we've been broke many times over the years. Remember way back in 1985, we're newly married, and I signed a contract to be a teacher at the East Peoria Community High School system, and uh, they hadn't settled the contract, and the original contract started out at like $15,000, and we were so excited we were going to get $15,000. That would be our annual salary. And finally, the contract kicked in like in October, November, and they gave us some back pay. We thought, yeah, we're loaded now because it's now $16,000. Years went by and we started a business. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever started a business before, but, man, that was tough. I think the first year with all the money that was coming in and out of Starting an insurance agency, I netted $6,000. I was better off being a teacher than doing a business. Over time, things took off, and, and uh, we weren't so broke anymore. But I remember one time before we started to come into our own with our business, uh, Kathy and I, we were in tears one night because we were out of resources. I just paid my uh, office manager more money than I was going to take home. I mean, it was really frustrating and concerning. And so now we're borrowing money to get this 
this business off the ground. Years later, uh, we were overseas, and uh, we came off the field from where we were serving overseas in Budapest, Hungary. And again, we took a humongous cut in pay coming back, and, and uh, Kathy had a situation with a job change, and we just, we were upside down again. It's, just, it's like, come on. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it goes, right? And of course, last night, we watched the, the great movie, It's a Wonderful Life. That's what you do this time of year. And you remember, George Bailey had a little financial problem, right, as Uncle Billy lost $8,000 uh, for the, the building and loan, and so that was a problem. And uh, that's when Clarence shows up. And of course, uh, Clarence tries to help, them, help him, and uh, Clarence, the guardian angel who uh, wasn't much to look at, as it were. But at one point, uh, our friend George is pretty distraught, and he wants to end it all. You remember that in the movie? If you've seen it, hopefully you have. If you haven't, you still have time today to go watch it. And uh, the only solution for in George's mind is as he turns to Clarence, he goes, well, you don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? And, of course, the angel says, no, no, we don't use money up in heaven, of which George says, well, it comes in really handy down here, bub. That's my favorite line in the whole movie. But through it all, through all that Kathy and I have been through, God has always taken care of us. He's always seen to our needs. Our king that we're celebrating today came in the midst of the mundane. He came from obscurity, and he came by way of lowly means. But our king was heralded in the highest, as we'll see today, and he was adored by the lowest, and he was treasured, of all things, by the poorest. Again, we're wrapping up our Christmas series. As we've seen in these weeks leading up to the advent of Christ, we've been studying not only the promise and birth of Jesus, but the promise and birth of his forerunner, John the Baptist. Today, through the book of Luke, we'll see the birth of the king, the birth of Christ. Today, I have six spiritual insights that I want to share with you to take home with you today as we reflect on the coming of Christ. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful Christmas day. And yeah, there's snow out there. It's a little slippery, but we're here. We're here by your sovereign hand. And there are those watching online at home. So Lord, we just ask that you would gather our hearts together as we listen to what you have to say through your word to us. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to take all these things to heart, just as Mary did. So Lord, be our guide, be our teacher as we study. Help us to understand your word and how it might apply to our lives, even right here, right now. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, the first point is this. The first truth I want to share with you is this. Our king came in the midst of the mundane. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Here we have Caesar Augustus. This is the height of the fourth monarchy of Rome. It was a universal monarchy which ruled the known civilized world at the time. The kingdom was known in the Latin as terrarum, orbis imperium. That is the, 
the empire of the whole earth, which ranged from Parthia, that is the Persians to the east, which is modern-day Iran, all the way to Britannia in the west. Here we have the irony of an earthly ruler, Caesar, making decrees under the ultimate control of the divine king of kings, God himself, who ordains that this couple, Joseph and Mary, be directed to Bethlehem in the ultimate fulfillment of God's prophecy regarding the birth of our Savior in Bethlehem. Notice that it was just a mundane decree. For rulers are always making proclamations and decrees, are they not? As one theologian wrote, all the world shall be at the trouble of being registered, only that Joseph and Mary may be brought to Bethlehem, where God's providence orders all things for the fulfilling of the Scripture. Here, Caesar thinks he's going to do his own thing. I'm going to have a registration. I want to find out how big my kingdom is. But God is using him to direct this couple to Bethlehem for his purposes, which is incredible to think about. But it was a mundane census, was it not? It was a census for the purpose of taxation under the empire. Here, Caesar seeks to serve his own demands through a, a census only ultimately serving God's overall purposes and intentions. We have mundane decree, a mundane census. Why? For what purpose? For mundane taxes. Is there anything more mundane than taxes? Our king came in the midst of the mundane. But secondly, our king came from obscurity. Notice what it says in verse 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. They came from an obscure place. Nazareth? And John 1.46, Nathaniel asked the question, can anything good come from Nazareth? What's the answer? Not really. It's a mundane, obscure place. And they traveled to an obscure place, Bethlehem. In the Hebrew, Beth Lechem. Beth, house of, Lechem, bread. They went to the house of bread. This is the threshing floor of Beth Lechem. Jesus, of all things, irony of ironies, Jesus, who is precisely the bread of life, is born in the house of bread, an obscure town, that was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came in passages like Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. He came from an obscure place. They traveled to an obscure place. He was born to obscure parents. Mary and Joseph, who were both so very, very poor. They were poor and lowly. But even though they are poor and lowly, Jesus, as he comes, fulfills the promise of the promised seed line. He's in the line of the house of David, we're told. Isaiah 9-7, as we listen to this passage for just a moment from the prophecy of Isaiah, and Isaiah 9, as we read it, written 800 years before Jesus shows up. It sounds like a Christmas card of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's on the throne of David. 
As God tells the evil one in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, I'm going to put a conflict between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is the ultimate promised seed of a woman who would come and destroy evil and rebellion once and for all, bringing light and life to all mankind. And yet he comes from obscurity, obscure parents to an obscure place an obscure home. Thirdly, not only is our king from obscurity and in the midst of the mundane, but our king came by way of lowly means. How lowly were they? Listen to what it says. Again, it's very easy to read this, and you've heard this a million times, but I want you to think how broke these people are. Verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, it says. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. No room in the inn. Jesus doesn't come wherein he is born in a royal palace fit for a king. There's not even a friend's house in Bethlehem or a family member's house from Joseph's hometown. There's no place for them to go or to be. There's not enough cash to pay out for something nicer. So they ended up in some sort of animal shelter or enclosure, perhaps even a cave, as some suggest. Jesus wasn't born in a stately room upon a royal bed with swaddling clothes. You ever think about what this is about, the swaddling clothes? Basically, strips of cloth and no proper bed clothes for the newborn babe. No way to run down to local Walmart and pick something up. Got nothing. Let's just tear these sheets. This will work. We'll just wrap them up in that. Laying in a manger, a feeding trough. There's no royal crib for the bed. There's no Craco porta crib, right? It's just what it is. It's a manger. Notice the outright poverty of these parents. And thus begins the humiliation of our Savior, which culminates with his ultimate death on the cross for us. Isaiah 53, 2 reminds us, for he grew up, before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He's parched. They have nothing. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Doesn't even have a place to be born. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is our king who comes by way of lowly means who comes from obscurity in the midst of the mundane. But fourthly, and don't miss this, our king was heralded in the highest. In verse 8 it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. First an angel appears, and then a whole host of angels will be singing in just a moment as we look, Glory to God in the highest. What did the angel say about the child? Well, the first thing he says is, fear not. 
I don't know what you're dealing with right now or know what difficulty you're going through, but fear not. His perfect love for you casts out fear. But not only that, he is good news. I've got good news, the angel says. Eun Gilead, good news in the Greek. The good story, the gospel. I've got a gospel message for you. What gospel is it? What good news is it? Well, he's a savior. He saves us. And we ask, saves us from what? He saves us from sin. He saves us from our sin. He saves you from your sin. He saves me from my sin. Ultimately, what does he save us from? Yeah, we could say he saves us from sin. He saves us from hell. He saves us from our enemies. Yes, all those things. But understand, he's ultimately saving us from God's righteous justice and indignation over our rebellion against him. God has every right to execute his justice against every one of us in this room. And yet, because of Christ, because he took all of God's wrath and all that justice upon himself, we're now spared that. We are free. This is why the gospel is indeed good news. Why? We have a Savior where before we didn't. He's the Savior, we're told. But what else? What else does the angel say about this boy, this child that's born? He is the Christ. He is Jesus the Christ. Notice Christ is not his last name, it's his title. That is, in the Greek, the Christos. In Hebrew, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the promised one from of old, who would come and destroy evil once and for all. He is our Messiah, our Savior. And not only that, it says in the passage, he is Christ, the Lord. He is the divine authority as Lord. That is, he is the King the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they're given signs. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice these angels bring glory to God because of this child that's born for us who is our Savior, who is our Messiah, who is our King. This word glory in the Greek is the word doxadzo. It's where we get the word doxology. All praise and glory goes to God because of this child who ultimately, did you see this in verse 14, brings peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh, he brings peace. We can finally now be at peace with God. We can finally now be at peace with each other. We can finally find peace within ourselves through faith in Christ. Our king was heralded in the highest by the highest of angels, making an incredible midnight cry. Here he is. The whole Old Testament says, here he comes. And the New Testament with these words says, here he is. But not only is our king the one who is heralded in the highest, 
our king was adored by the lowest. Did you see this? In verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And we go, like, why shepherds? I mean, these angels could have showed up to anybody. Shepherds watching their flocks at night, lowly herdsmen. From the highest angels comes an incredible message to the lowest. He is heralded by the highest and adored by the lowest. Shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Is there anything more unfun to do? Shepherds seen as one of the lowest professions in Israel. Because of their duties with livestock, they were constantly considered ceremonially unclean and therefore were seen as outcasts by the community. Nothing more boring than watching and keeping track of a herd of sheep at night By the way, I'd like to remind you, isn't that how you're supposed to fall asleep? Count the sheep. And here they are watching them, night, cold, dark, lonely profession. Based on the wintry time of year, this is fascinating. They're likely watching over the very sheep that would be used for the Passover that following spring. But notice after they heard the good news, what do they do? They go immediately to Bethlehem. They went with expectation. They don't go to see if it happened. They say, no, we're going to go to see what's happened. And they go with haste. They didn't waste any time. And as they're going, they're proclaiming what they'd seen and heard. They made known the saying, it says. They told everyone about it. You can imagine as they show up, and there's the manger scene. They're looking at it going, it's just like they told us. And there's Mary, and there's Joseph. And they're going, we saw some angels, man. It was awesome. And now you can imagine, well, we saw angels too, Joseph and Mary would have said. And everybody's going, this is amazing. This is a miracle. Our king is amazing. We see the shepherds returning, verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They glorified and praised God for all that they had experienced. And we ask, you know, why are they so excited? Because they've never seen anything like this. Imagine being a shepherd for months, years, nothing ever happens. And now angels show up and we go and see everything precisely the way they told us. This is awesome. Did you see that? You should have seen what we just saw. You won't believe it. It's a miracle. Our king was adored by the lowest. He was heralded by the highest. But lastly here, our king was treasured by the poorest. Look at verse 19. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 21, we're told at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Here we see this poverty-stricken woman who is now beaming over what has just transpired. Can you imagine how Mary must have felt? Before, with uncertainty, 
with what was going to happen and now overflowing with joy and thanksgiving as she treasures and ponders all these things in her heart. Everything that the angel had told her about her child was now come to pass in no uncertain terms. And of course, with what she's experiencing, what follows is obedience. Subsequently, Mary and Joseph follow through in naming the child Jesus. Why? Because that's what they were told to name the child. Call him Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, which literally means Savior. Why? Because that's who he is. In Matthew one twenty one. they were told, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Folks, that's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is our sin and our rebellion. But Christ, our Savior, born this day all those years ago, was sent for us as our treasured king. Our king was treasured by the poorest. You know, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, which I'm sure many of you have seen, you'll recall Mary rallies all the friends in the community to help her husband, George, George's brother finally shows up after all the resources have come in. And Harry Bailey lifts the toast and he says, to George Bailey, the richest man in town. And of course, at which point there's a book that Clarence had that now George has. And inside the front cover of the book, it's written, no man is a failure who has friends. You know, we can talk about the treasures of the earth, the the financial resources, or even the resources we have in the friends that we have. Wonderful sentiment, but the ultimate sentiment is the sentiment concerning the riches that we all have access to in Christ. Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. How? In Christ Jesus. You see, if you don't have Christ, you're broke. If you have him, you're loaded. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen, Paul writes. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. He's the King of all, bestowing, watch this, his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why did he come? To save us. The question is, are you saved? The only way that His salvation can be applied to your heart and life is through faith. Have you put your faith and trust in him as your savior? And understand if you have, you are the richest person in the room because you have all that you need, all that you've ever longed for. Beloved, our king came in the midst of the mundane. He came from obscurity. He came by way of lonely means. But our king was heralded in the highest. Our king was adored by the lowest. 
Our king was treasured by the poorest. So here's the challenge for all of us this morning as we reflect on this Christmas morning. Are you treasuring him today? And to what degree? Are you adoring him? Yeah, we sang some hymns. Were you just getting through the songs or were you really reflecting on who he is and what he's done for you? Adoring him to such a degree that you would now herald him. That you'd speak openly about the good news that we have in Christ. Treasuring, adoring, heralding. Throughout the centuries, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been heralded. It has been proclaimed from person to person and is evidenced now in how we are all here this morning worshiping God in one accord for the gift of his son. But at this time, we're going to consider lighting some candles. So here's the first thing we're going to do before we start lighting candles. I'll light mine. I'll get mine started here. But you need to move to the inside of your row. So if you can kind of scooch to the middle here and you guys scooch to the right, it'll be easier to light things up. Just as one candle lights another, think back on who it was that gave you the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can go ahead and stand up and move to the center area. Think back on who it was that gave you the light of the gospel. And as you light another's candle, pray for those who have come to know Christ through your life and also pray for those people in your life with whom you need to share your light. It's my hope and my prayer for all of you that we would praise God for his great gift to us this Christmas. And that ultimate gift is Jesus Christ. Now, this is real fire. Please understand that as it is real fire, that clothing and hair are flammable. You have someone in front of you, don't lean too far forward. If you have children with you, please monitor their flames as best you can. To avoid spilling wax, if your candle is lit, hold yours straight. Let other people light off of you so we don't spill wax everywhere. Uh, Nobody's up in the balcony, so we're clear for that. At this point, I'm going to ask the guys to turn the lights off. And where's my friend Jeffrey to help me sing Silent Night? There he is. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you are to us. And we thank you for this uh, beautiful Christmas morning. Lord, we had other plans to worship last night and And yet you've drawn us here together for your purposes today. And so, Lord, we thank you for the clear message that comes from your word. Lord, may we be a people that treasures Christ in our hearts. Lord, may we be a people that adores the Savior, the Son, the King that you sent for us. And Lord, may we be a people that heralds all that you are to us, to everyone. Lord, as we're mindful of the idea that the only reason we have any light is that somebody else gave it to us today. Lord, may we be a people that continues to give this light, the light of Christ, 
to others. Around our tables today, in the days and weeks to come, that your good news, the gospel, the good story, might continue to go forth. So Lord, thank you for strengthening our hearts, encouraging our faith as we've gathered here today. We want you to receive all the glory for you are the king. You are our savior. You are our savior and Christ. You are Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. You may now blow out your candles. Thank you so much for coming today. I'd like to wish all of you a very, very, very Merry Christmas. Lord bless you. You are